sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Yes, folks, and welcome to the sales series here at Dublin South FM, where I get to interview people all across the globe who love sales stupidly, that gorgeous passion that we have for trying to make people believe in what we do or how they can sell their product or their services. And the man that I have on in this first episode As you all know, we've had him on before. And when we had him on, people were emailing me, texting me, getting in touch going, what an amazing guy. Tells the truth. How authentic he can be. You must get him on again. So I decided to reach out to him, say hello, and bring Benjamin back on. The most hated sales trainer in England. (laughs) Well, the UK. Or the UK. I, 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 UK. Get a, I get a bit of Ireland, Scotland and Wales in there as well. A bit of, the most, okay, the world, the, the world, oh, in the world. The world, yes, maybe one day. <laughs> it's good to be back, Joe. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm glad your listeners enjoyed the first one. So that's always a plus. Yes, they, they uh, warmed to you, warmed to wow. you. Right? So, I need to try harder. You're, you're, you're. Brand and your marketing strategy must be working, working out <laughs> quite well. That's, you know, and that's what we want, isn't it? Everybody needs to sort of stand out and do their own thing and be different from everyone else. Like one of the things, Benjamin, I say to my clients, when everyone in the industry is saying A, I want you to say, say B if it's what you believe, even if it's complete opposite and you believe everyone else is talking horse shit. Yeah. Stay there, and that will then have you recognised in your industry. Yeah, uh, it's true. I mean, if your competitors are doing it, then you shouldn't be. That's the whole point of capitalism, right? If everyone's doing the same thing, then stop. You want to do the you do something different. Um, yeah, so I completely agree. Um, yeah, don't sound like all the others. And um, I'm an, I'm in a <clears throat> I'm in an industry where everybody sounds the same. Uh, sales training. And it's pretty depressing. <laughs> it is. And, and one of the things that, you know, which drives me mad within the whole industry, like we have so many of us in it and it has that passion and you have the love for it. And But the one thing is that, you know, everybody thinks their strategy or system is better than everyone else's. And this is how it is. But it's not. They're all really the same. Because for me, it's, you know, that emotional attachment. It's giving that pay the people what they need, creating that desire and delivering it. Now you could do that in multiple different ways, but they're all the same. They're all really the same. And the only thing I think that people need to realize is that there is a huge difference between product knowledge and sales training. Oh, without doubt. Product they knowledge. Don't. They don't. I know they don't. I mean, and this is, and you are right. I mean, I've always said if you just picked one sales methodology, spin, Zig Ziglar, uh, whatever it is, you know, if you just picked one and got really good at it, you, me, you'd be fine. <laughs> the problem is, is salespeople don't do that. What they like doing is they love reading books about selling and they love looking for trite little lines that sound really, really good. And what they do is, um, they talk to people about how they use it, but they don't use it. It takes five minutes watching a salesman to realize that they don't do half the stuff they read in books. And they just love the idea of having, you notice when you talk to salespeople, now they've got a library behind them. <laughs> and it's every bloody sales book that's on the market, fanatical prospecting, go for no. Every single book, it's like, look how smart I am. And it's like, can you do anything in those books? No. Yeah. Oh, well, because it doesn't quite work in my, and then they got the, well, it doesn't quite work in my industry or we're, we're, we're quite separate. Or, and it's, no, 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 no. You're just talking nonsense. So I agree with you. Um, you started st- off, you started off in, as a, in, as a, in the, in the law, as a lawyer, I'm going to say a law firm, but as a lawyer, and you learned that craft of, you know, legalese. And you knew then very quickly that, Standing up in a courtroom negotiating is probably the same as selling. Okay, it's theatre. Uh, it's theater. A courtroom public, is theater. 
public theatre. We could talk it's about that theater. on a different day, you know. We but... dress up for the occasion in wigs and gowns and stockings, right? Yes. So it's theatre. Uh, yes, but there, there, there's a purpose to this theatre. Uh, and there's a game being played. And everyone knows the rules of the game too. So both sides are manipulating. Everybody knows that, right? Both sides are trying to manipulate. Both have a theory of the case. So both have got the same evidence, but they argue it means different things. And then they and then their job is to catch witnesses out, and that's where their brilliant questioning comes in. So lawyers, people say they're wordsmiths. And so what they've done is they know the power of language because language is very, very, very important, and understanding how to use language is very important. Something most salespeople don't know. They ask bad questions in bad ways at the wrong time. A great skill is asking the right questions in the right way at the right time and having certain structures for questions designed to get certain responses. So lawyers are the same. Everybody knows there's manipulation going on. And it's whoever's got the stronger argument or the most compelling case that wins. Um, and selling is, in some ways, very similar. It's a show. You have to be a psychiatrist. You have to be an actor. You have to have great communication skills. You have to understand human beings and how to get them to move between, you know, A and B. Um, and you've got to, unlike a lawyer convince, it's the opposite. You've got to get a prospect to discover they need what you have. And if they discover it, they own it. If you tell them they need it, well, that's your data and I'll fight with you. But if I get them to figure out they need it, then I'm fine. And that brings up the next question. You know, people, you know, I've, I've stood up in front of, you know, hundreds of people at conferences and I've spoke for hours and I said, if you don't like selling, change it to helping because everybody loves to help and people go oh great because there is people out there that don't like selling but when you change that word it changes they change their attitude but at the end of the day it's selling and if you can't sell or won't sell your business is screwed you know <laughs> that's really what it is so what is that x factor that you know 25 percent of salespeople have and 75% of people struggle with? Well, it comes down to the fact that, let's use those statistics, I'd say this a slightly more skill sets, like 90, 10. But I've been generous, am I? <laughs> yeah, you are. But the, the real reason is this, is 90% of people that are in sales don't want to be there. That's the fundamental reason. Nobody, nobody wanted to be a salesman when they were at school. This is not what you had planned for your life. Yeah, there's always one exception. It's normally the host of a podcast. But with the exception of them, you ask anyone at school right now, you go into a classroom right now, what are you going to be when you grow up? No one goes, oh, 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 salesman. No. What happens is, is you go to university or you leave school, you study English literature or sports psychology, and you realize very quickly that no one can hire you. You can't make money with this knowledge. So who's always hiring? Sales. And as long as you don't dribble, you look all right in a suit and you can string a sentence together, you are qualified to enter the profession. That's why it's so bad, because it is a drift catch-all for people who can't get other jobs. Well, and that's brutal, well, yes, true, because well, that's why salespeople are so bad, because they don't want to be there. They don't actually learn how to get good at selling. They just keep going through the motions and eventually somebody buys. Selling, yes. Selling for me was at an age of 13, I realized that I love doing this, believe right. it or not. I then kind of went, oh, my God, I can make money doing this. Brilliant. Then I got into various jobs and different decisions, and then I in my 20s then was properly showed how to sell and my income went mm. now i used to practice in front of a mirror we used to have scripts so i used to do it all role play role play because when you have something and you use it as a muscle like a muscle or your brain and work on it and work on it and work on it you get better and better and better so i believe that I'm saying 25, you're saying 10. That makes the difference are the people that practice and the people that take this, the industry or their job and be proud to be a salesperson and mm. practice and practice and read those books, but practice. They're the ones that make the difference. The rest yeah. of the other people, you know, don't have the will to sell, don't want to be in it, are terrified because they are lacking possibly some sort of self-confidence 
because they're in something they dislike or they've a, they've a toxic boss or a shitty company or whatever they are. They need to get the feck out of there and start going, yeah. let me, if I'm in this, let me put everything that I have into this because if I do, I will make the money. I'm going to tell you where my, I tell you where sales went for me. Being able to travel all over the world if I wasn't selling. I wouldn't have met interesting people if I wasn't selling. So, yeah, my rant over. I'm doing a lot of ranting lately. No, no, there's a lot to rant about in this modern world that we live in. But you are, you are right. We've said the same thing in, in a different way. And it's fundamentally down to the fact that, as we point out, there's only a handful of people that really want to get good at selling. So they do what anyone who really wants to get good at it is they study it, they practice it. They apply it, they learn from their mistakes, they take notes on what their lessons are, they try new things, and they want to get good. That, unfortunately, isn't the majority of salespeople. The majority are there literally just going through the motions. And because most are managed by people that aren't particularly effective either, as long as you just hit target, you'll be okay. Yeah, they're, they're, I call them justers. You know, I, you know, I just missed target, I just hit target. You know, And so they, they operate on a 7 out of 10. Yeah, there's only a handful that want to go, no, 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 I want to operate the nine plus zone. That means I've got to get really good. That means I've got to really learn my trade and craft. But most are just sitting there playing the lottery, hoping to win it so that they can actually go off and do something they really want. Which never happens. And then anxiety and stress kicks in and everything as well. So let's look at the sales process. We have prospecting we have the sales presentation and then we have the how to be dealing the follow-up dealing with the client once they've taken the producing the orders and everything as well so you're creating that stellar moment so they tell everyone that you're wonderful and brilliant and send everyone to you but before the prospecting you need to know what you're selling you need to have you know an idea on the company you need to have an idea on the product that you're selling the people that you're selling it to you need to know there's an awful lot of a structure behind your business before you just go out and selling you don't just go okay i'm gonna sell glasses so i just bought a lot of glasses what do you give me the phone i'm just gonna ring these people and ask them do they want glasses there's a bit of structure behind it yes. so do you, Benjamin, go through that structure with people before you get into the selling process? And the reason I ask it, before I even get into that with clients, I go through a whole process to find out, do they have a notion of what they're doing? Do they, do they have structure on their business? You know, or is it just pie in the sky? And there's a lot of work that goes into that before we even get into the selling process. So my, uh, it's like with anything, if you've created a product or a service, the first thing, if you're smart, you've created something that fixes something. Yeah, it's no point creating something that you like only to discover that nobody else cares for it. So it's got to fix something. So Thomas Edison, you know, spent years trying to create the light bulb. And he knew that people, this fixes a huge problem. If people can light up their house, they're going to buy this thing. So he created something that fixes a problem. And one of the problems that most salespeople have is they, they view selling from the wrong perspective. They're always coming in to talk about what they do and how they do it and why they do it, which is great, but it's product knowledge, right? What they don't focus on is what do we actually fix? What does our ideal prospect, what does that person bitching or moaning about right now? And they have absolutely no idea that we have the solution, which means they won't be using any of our language. They won't be saying or talking in any way that we're talking about our product because that's all product knowledge based. What are they moaning about right now? What are they sitting in their office screaming at? And we're the solution. And this is what salespeople need to really understand because if you want to engage with anybody, you need to talk about what it is that you fix. Because if they say, well, I don't recognize that. I don't have that problem. I've never experienced that. They're not going to buy your stuff. It's that straightforward. Um, And so my goal whenever I get in front of somebody or before I pick up the phone is to figure out, well, do they have salespeople? That's the main question. If they have salespeople, then I know statistically they're going to suffer from one of these five problems. I don't know which one of them it is. They're going to tell me. Some may have none of them. Doesn't mean they won't have them in six months. I'll phone them in six months. But I'm going to phone them up and find out, do you experience any of these? If he says yes, there's a good chance we'll end up working together. If he says no, I'll call him back in six months and ask again. 
because the reason I know I'll call them in six months is because at some point someone in their business cycle has to suffer from these five problems. So salespeople often get that wrong. And they spend a lot of time wanting, I find they spend too much time trying to research a business. They need an angle. They need an in. Yeah, they spend more time on LinkedIn looking yeah. up and doing the data. And that's just the fear. The it's fear a procrastination avoidance. And you don't need an in. What do you fix? You've created something to fix something. They, if they have the problem it fixes, then there should be a conversation. So here's yeah. the one thing that I've learned. I'm in sales. God, I feel like I'm starting to be a granddad of sales <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm now I've more years closer to my retirement than I have to write it you know that we go oh yeah. that's that's my why now I realize I've 12 14 years left to retire and I went shit <laughs> <laughs> so there's one thing I, I've learned over the years about prospecting mm. is when you see it first and this is my wisdom you hate it because you don't you're not you don't feel comfortable right but then you create a system that you work on. And if you work on it every day, that you lose that fear and you get better and better and better and better at it. And whatever that system is, you try it, it doesn't work. You tweak it. You try it, it doesn't work. You tweak it. You try it, it doesn't work. You tweak it. Like I've jumped on LinkedIn and I've wrote messages to people on LinkedIn testing and mm. they've de- de- defriended me. Right, that doesn't work. Right. You right know, so exactly. Yeah, or... So for what, what I would recommend, now you can, you know, we all have a different opinion, is I reach out to people on LinkedIn or social media, just connect with them, then, you know, look at their website. I will then just go, look, great to connect here. Um, love to follow your journey. Um, if I can help you with A, B, or C, let me know. And I wait for them then to come back with a response. If they don't, I'll send them then an article or something on it. If they come back, I'll get into a conversation and try and get them on a Zoom call with a, with a chat. If I get on that chat, have a chat, I'll gauge it to see if it's a, if it's a selling process or a fact-finding. You know, what's working with and what's not. Next time, if I do want to come back with I go, look, have something here. I've been listening to what you've been saying. I've been doing a bit of research. Get jumping back in but it's listening to what they have listening you know asking those questions to see what issues they have find out what three issues they have you're saying six i say three issues they have then come back with the solutions for 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 them or ask them you know what have they done in the past to resolve them come back with the issues i have a gauge meter to see where they are are they you know, at a scale of 10 or one where they want to move forward in their business, then it's bringing in the, the benefits and the features or the benefits and the real benefits of what we have to offer aligned with the three concerns that they have. And if it's an objection, an objection, you turn it into a question, it's paraphrasing it back to them. Or if people just say, I, I can't afford, is it just supposing that the price wasn't an issue? Then would you feel... It would be benefit to you because I've learned that if someone, most people, if they have objections, first two are smoke screens, they're yes. covering something up. And the third one then is a true objection. So you have to do a, a sort of a, a loop with that to find out what it is. And once you've done that, then you can answer the question. So, and the real thing that I've learned that if you do the listening part in the very beginning and that listen and answer questions and tease out that, you have very, very, or no objections at the very end. Mm. Yes. That's my, that's, that's, you could write it. There's a book, five yeah. pages. Exactly. We were discussing that before um, the podcast. At radio Bruce. show, radio show. You're on the radio now. No, we're not live. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, we were discussing that before the podcast and, you know, people said to me, why haven't you written a book? I said, because there's not actually a lot to put down on paper. This isn't the complicated stuff. Most sales books are just built up with a lot of fluff to, you know, get the page number up. Um, and you are right. Um, for me, I approach selling from the, from the viewpoint that there are more reasons for someone not to work with me than there are to work with me. And my job, therefore, is to figure out why you can't work with me first. Because if I can get rid of all of those, whatever's left 
is probably going to be good to hear. And there are more reasons for someone not to work with me. And as you say, they chuck things like price, too expensive, time, resources, and other things. And there's all these things in order for something to work well that they have to commit to. So I, I focus my time. I'm a very, there's a book even written called Go For No. There's all, there's so many books out there about Go For No, but I am actually committed. When I get in front of a prospect, let's find out why we can't do this. Because if we can't, this meeting's over. And it's amazing when you start to have that discussion with a prospect. Do you know how hard it is to get prospects to say no to you when you actually get asked them to try and say no? Because they start to justify why they don't have those issues. It's fascinating. And I enjoy it immensely. But the one thing then that's just popped up with me is that a lot of people, when they think of sales, then they think of resistance. Mm. So, it's not just a flow or an enjoyable experience. They go, right, and they've just this tension or resistance in them before they even get into it. Yes. Yeah. For many, it's an adversarial system, um, but it has. I call it the sales matrix, and the sales matrix was created to keep salespeople at arm's length. The prospect created it. We do it. We all do it. So the first thing we will ever do to a salesman, and we all do it, I do it, you do it, is we lie. And by lie, I mean deceive. We deceive. And how do we deceive? We tell half-truths. We do omissions. We exaggerate. We embellish. We leave things out. So when somebody says, are you the decision maker? You go, yes. But you also know you're going to discuss it with your wife and she could ultimately overrule you. Yeah? Or, or they ask you, what's your budget? And you say, I've got about, a, about 80 quid. You know you've got 100, maybe even more, but you don't give them. So the first thing we do is deceive. Yeah? Because we don't want the salesman to know the truth. And then the next thing we want to do is pump them for information. I want to extract from you as much information for free without committing to anything. So that's why I invite you in and say, hey, look, very interested in what you do. Love what you guys are up to. Can you just uh, help me understand a little bit more about what is it you do? How do you do it? Who do you work with? How long does it last? What would you expect? And they ask questions and the, the salesman's loving this because he gets to vomit how smart he is and how much he knows. And as this is going on, the salesman's feeling good and the prospect's pumping you and then making notes. And at this point, then, something happens. The salesman, the meeting comes to a natural crescendo. And the salesman then says, this is my moment. And then he goes in for the commitment. So, Mr. Prospect, what do you want to do? Or how, how do we move forward? And at that precise moment, because the prospect knows that's coming at the end of the plundering phase. The moment this conversation gets to this point, they know you're going to do this. Instantly, the prospect has, yeah, the prospect instantly has their get out of jail card. And this is where they come up with stalls, objections, or higher authority. All of a sudden they go, ah, look, I, I, I'd love to move forwards with you, but unfortunately I need to discuss this with X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but, but hey, but at the beginning when we first spoke, you said you were the decision man. Oh, ultimately I am, but I'm not going to make this on my own. Oh. Or, well, you're more expensive than the other companies we've met. Or, well, look, I'd love to do this, but our budgets won't be set until next quarter. So we can't do it. So they give some reason why they can't move forward. But then they say, I'll tell you what, you couldn't document your stupidity for me, could you? You couldn't do me a proposal or a quote or some sort of document that just goes over everything you've shared with me for free in this meeting pricing timings and everything. Send that over to me and I'll be in touch. And then what do they know? Most of the time, they disappear. Yeah. They hide. Yeah. And the salesman is chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. I don't get it. They were so keen. They were so positive. They even asked me to do a proposal. Why would they do that if they weren't going to buy? It's because the system, the matrix is designed to turn you into a free consultant and to treat you as um, a supplier and not a partner. And every salesman experiences this. And every industry I've always says, yes, that's our sales process. We show up, we throw off, we hope. Yes, I know. It's yeah. a pretty pathetic way to live. Three things. I don't do big out, I don't do big proposals. No. Nope, um, if anyone asks me, you know, put it down, like, you know, I go, oh, hang on, smell a rat here. I just put out a one page or email. That's all I put out. Nothing else, nothing more. I'm not, you know, I've I've seen people send me PDFs on you know, that could go into the book of Kells, you know, and no. And the other thing as well is when asking people something, 
I've learned that you ask them where do they want their business to be because they lie and tell everything and where it wants to be and great. And then you ask them, where is the business now? Because yeah. if you ask them where the business is now, they'll tell you where it wants to be and they'll give you all the lies and everything. So when you say to them, where do you want the business to be? They'll oh, shooting cannons and fireballs and, you know, monkeys on bicycles. And then you go, oh, yeah. where's it now? Oh, well, uh, well, it's done it down because that's where I want it to be. So that's one one way of helping the person to be relaxed and be more truthful in, in it. The one then, the other thing as well is people don't realize that they need your help until you disturb them enough to get them to realize that they need your help then as well. Um, yes, I agree on it. Um, and the, and the, 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 the last thing as well, just on that is you just have to get them to relax. And if they, and if people will always say, you know, I'm a decision maker. Someone will always have to have a go-to person to go to or they want to think about or whatever as well. How many prospects do you think someone needs to speak to? So say someone wants to get six clients in a month right. or in a year or in a whenever. How many clients do you think, prospects do you think they need to speak to to achieve X amount? I think that's very hard to quantify because if you get in front of six people that actually need what you have, you should close all six. So it comes down to the quality of your prospecting. Uh, so that number can be drastically reduced if you're getting in front of enough of the right people. Um, the problem with most salespeople is they don't. Now, they they, they want to meet anybody with a pulse. Well, then they and have... And that's it is the problem. They don't meet the decision maker. So they, they, they won't phone the MD because they're too scared to phone the MD. So they phone the manager or the head of, and they say, oh, go on and come in and see me. You're going to be in the area. And they class that as a sales meeting. It's, no, 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 you're not. This is a social event. Yeah, you're literally just going in there to talk at them about you with the hope that you'll say something and they'll go, oh, 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 I can't believe you've just walked in and said that. So if that's your approach to selling, then you are going to have to talk to a lot of people. You're going to be kissing frogs until you're actually puking slime, right? <laughs> I just have that nausea feeling coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so, well, so yeah. you have to speak to a lot. But if you're more more targeted, if you only want to get in front of people who on the phone call have identified a problem, yeah, you can. You might, some, you might speak to someone in prospecting, and they won't. They have you already in in a different version, you know. So, and you don't know till you have that. And you know, we can say so. Say if you need to get ten deals, you may need to speak to. 100 people depending on the interest in, in in the motor trade if you're selling 10 cars you might need to speak to 20 people because they're walking in the door already yeah. wanting to purchase so if you have a product that you want to sell you could end up say if you want to get 10 of them you could end up speaking to 200 people theoretically yeah yeah. But a good salesman disqualifies that's the key to a good salesman a good salesman gets rid of people that can't buy early but that's that's prospecting. That's what I'm saying. That how many how many dials? So I, I do work on the I work on a one in ten. For every ten dial dials I make, I'll talk maybe to one managing director, maybe two, one or two. Of those two, if I do that five times a week, that would be ten. I would have spoken to ten decision makers, probably about a thousand dials, give or take. And of those ten. Statistically, two to three probably need what I have. So, or so, so, so we're saying to get ten, you're dialing probably maybe a thousand. And we're saying, and by dials, we literally mean it's no one's answering. The gatekeeper doesn't put you past. Yeah, you just, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's that's yeah, it. It's a, it's so a it sounds like a lot, but in reality, it's not because uh, if you make forty dials that go nowhere, that takes about forty minutes. <laughs> I made the effort. I made the effort and is to reach out to six people every day. There you go. Every day. Reach out to six people every day. Yeah. And if I miss it for one day, the next day I do 12. But every week I reach out. Yes. You've got to have your minimum behaviors. You've got to be speaking to a minimum number of people per day. 
I, I agree with that. I don't measure dials, you see. So if, if, if your target is six a day and you get six phone calls, bang for bang, you get all six, then I quit. If it took 50, I keep going until I've had my minimum number. And then once I've had my minimum number, I stop because I know statistically, if I do that every day, I'll get the number of appointments I need at the level that I need in order to sell my stuff. So I, I, I completely agree with the same approach. But like I say, that could take 40 dollars, 50 dollars, 100. I don't know how many. I'll just keep going until I've had my six conversations. Yeah. A lot of people look at their prospecting and they'll have hundreds of people in their prospects, but they won't call them. And I tell you, this is what I've learned, and I believe they won't call them because if the person says no, it reduces their prospect list. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the problem with salespeople is the only thing most of them really care about is hope. Hope is a very dangerous thing. It is. That's why sales, yeah. But hope is what's up. See, hope you can stick in the pipeline at 65%. I don't you can't stick a no in the pipeline, you see. So so, so they'd rather take a think it over. That's why they love thinking over. That's why I see these people take a think it over. Because a think it over is hope. It's not dead yet. It's not dead. It's alive. I can talk about that at Monday's sales meeting. Go in with a no, and I've got a prospect. But most salespeople don't want to prospect. That's the other thing. They think it's beneath them. Let's be blunt. Most people think it's beneath them. There's something a little grubby and a little dirty about phoning up a stranger and then trying to get them to want to talk to you about what you do. So most people shy from it. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Why are people frightened talking? You mentioned there are people are frightened to speak to MDs. Yes. Why are you're an MD? I'm an MD. Why are people trying to talk to you? And Very them? simple. We phone at a level our self concept is comfortable with. So if you're a 25 year old account executive working in a company and you're given a list and it says MD, CEO, president, your mum then whispers in your ear when you're looking at those numbers, what are you going to say to him when you get through? You're just an account executive. This guy runs a business. He's probably got two houses, a boat. He's successful. What could you possibly say to this man? And, and then he doesn't already know. And then she says, why don't you phone the janitor? At least he's on your level. That's why they do it. So they got that. They've also got all these other rules that mum and dad gave them. What, what, what were you taught when you were growing up about interrupting? Kids, yeah, what was it? Kids should be seen and not Even heard. Not heard. It's yeah. rude to interrupt. So your whole life you were programmed, never interrupt a human being. No one told you that that does not apply as a grown-up. So you have what psychiatrists call a scripted tape. It's always there playing. So now you're looking at the phone. Your mum's just said, what are you going to say to him? Then she said, you better not interrupt him. And then finally she says, do you know him? You go, no. Well, what have I told you about talking to strangers? Don't. Yes. So why don't you phone someone you've spoken to before? It sounds people said most of their time talking to people they've spoken to before that have said no because they're trying to build a relationship for a yes. You mentioned there programming. Programming. Um, programming, yes, because, you know, society has programmed every human being to act and do a certain way, to fit in to, you could call it the, the, the pyramid or whatever, and that we all have to be programmably act to do this. And everybody will probably follow that sort of hive mind mentality. And I think the people that shine or step away from it and look, as we said earlier on in the conversation, everything is a theater, you know, a public arena. You'll actually then just see the world as it is. You'll actually laugh. And you'll step into that arena with a better bag of tools, tricks, conversation, and you'll be able to navigate around it a lot easier. Well, the Romans, long before modern psychiatry came along, knew this because they had a saying, give me the boy until he's seven and I will show you the man. They knew that the first seven years of a child's existence were the most crucial. And we know that now from modern development. Yeah, this is when serial killers and psychopaths are created. It's in the first seven years. It's, it's nurture v. nature. You've got some of those arguments. But we also know that that's when all the programming is put into School, you. in your School, classroom. Parents, yeah, don't talk to strangers. It's rude to interrupt. Be seen and not heard. Don't challenge. Always answer a question when you're asked one. This is drilled into you. Losing creativity. 
oh, yes. in, intuition and lateral thinking yeah. all gone out the door. The modern school system, it's even now affecting universities. They don't teach you it. They program you to behave yes, a certain program. way. Yeah. And it's be a good little citizen, pay your taxes, don't question authority. And so, yeah, school school is useless. If, if you can leave school and you can read, write, and add, you've pretty much got all you need from school because the rest of it you learn in the real world, right? I've never once had anyone ask me what I got in my final year of school in my exams. What, what, what the hell does it matter what I got in geography or math with statistics when I was 17 years old? None of this matters. So our programming dictates how we behave. And we were trained to be buyers as children too. We watched our mum and dad lie, deceive. We watched them ask for quotes and do nothing. We watched them get proposals and do nothing. We watched them argue over price. We watched them say it's too expensive, then get it cheaper. And then your dad said, you know, I would have paid full price. But get I, it, it, I remember like, there's a big shopping centre here called Arnott's and my cousin worked in the factory, in the sewing factory. And my mum would go in with the docket and, you know, if you were, if you had a family member working in there, you got 10%. So my mum would have my auntie's docket and she'd go, um, I get 10% off this because my daughter works in in the factory. And I was a little small child and I'd be going, which one? Which, yeah. which sister's not working? She'd go and she'd slapping me in the head. Yeah. And so, you know, so is- yeah. So your whole life, you're programmed that when you're a buyer, your job is to be deceptive and untruthful and keep things guarded. So you grow up watching that. When you were at home as a kid, six o'clock one night, the phone rang. Mum was there, dad was there, brothers and sisters, everybody's there and the phone rang and dad picked it up. He goes, hello? No, nah, no, nah, she's not in. Sorry. No, no, she's not in. Thank you. Bye. Who was that, dad? He goes, oh, sales school. So your whole life you're programmed not to like sales school, not to like salespeople, never tell them the truth. You then grow up and that's your program behavior. So when you go out selling and you see people doing it to you, this little voice says, well, that's fair because that's exactly what you were trained to do. So you get treated like crap because you let it happen. It happens. Programmed, yes. People are programmed. Mm. I one of, one of the courses that I have now is the Active Conscious Leadership Plan. And in that, we're teaching people to stand in their own two shoes, take full responsibility of their own life and be authentic. And if you want to be authentic, you have to really accept that you could lose friends, family or, you know, have people disagree with you. Now, also, it is do no harm to no one or do no harm to another person's property, but be who you are. And I think that society, a program, has led people to believe that they need to act in a certain way to fit in, and everybody is programmed. So and from a sales point, a salesperson's point of view, from a leader point of view, or a, you know, a, a, a general manager, CEO, you need to basically have a pair of rocks and actually be able to just be who you are. And if one of them does that, the company will thrive. Would you agree with me? I would challenge to a degree some of it. Um, if your authentic self is a knob, then no, don't be you. And that's an important thing because we, we say selling is theatre. Theatre is acting. At times, this is the problem, you see, we all have personality types. Depending on which personality profile system you choose to use, there, there, are, there, are, there, there are various ones, right? And we all fall into a shade. Some personalities naturally clash. So, for instance, what's interesting is, is, is people that tend to rise to the top in business and politics and sports, they have what they have known as a high dominant personality. They're very driven, very assertive, big thinkers. They take risks. And that's a certain type of personality. And then you get someone on the other side who goes into engineering, solicitor, finance. Now, they're very different from a, from a dominant person because these people are more interested in facts and figures and detail and specificity. The, guy, the other guy isn't. So you get this. That's why they suit each other. One manages the company, has the vision. The other job is to keep him on track with all the numbers and make sure everything adds up and together. And so the problem we have is if you get someone who's a big fat Hawaiian, a big fat guy in a Hawaiian shirt who loves talking about himself and you stick him in front of a guy in a pinstripe suit that's only interested in facts, figures and detail, the odds of them doing business is drastically reduced because they're not like each other. 
So a good thing that a salesman can learn to do is adapt his behavior to suit the prospect. Now, yeah. when you're good at that, it becomes authentic because it becomes your style of communication. You can have an authentic communication style. But I don't believe in the adage, just be you, because I think just be you is wrong, because some people are just fundamentally flawed. Well, yes and no. And here it is, because even if the guy in the Hawaiian suit was going to deal with a man, the business would go skew ways a long time later on. And I believe that if the guy is an asshole, he's an asshole and he's an asshole for a reason, but he's not his true internal self. He's still not because something has happened to him in his life. And well, no, but behind, people buy from assholes. Yeah, and behind like- every behind every asshole, there is someone something nice inside of them. Now, if you're meeting someone who is an asshole and they're authentic, I won't work with them. Hmm. There is another Benjamin or Joe somewhere else who is an arsehole that will work with them. So, ah, but this is it. This is it with people like you and I, because we have the courage and the confidence to say no to people. A lot of salespeople can't say no because they're desperate for the business. And this is why businesses get into trouble because they have salespeople that take on anything. Because their sole focus has got to get got to hit target. That's often driven by a lack of prospecting and a lack of skill. Because most salespeople only do just enough to get by. But then the uh, person it, owns you. You're not working with them. They own you. If you hmm. take on, if they exactly. sell something to someone, and they have the upper hand, and they're, a, you know, as I said, do no harm to no one, no another property. But if you take on that asshole, they then own you, and you instead of being equal. You are below them. And everybody in business should be equal at all times. We've said this before. You know, we all sit on the loo at the same time. Easier said than done. And that's the thing with it. Selling is intellectually easy. There's nothing intellectually complex about selling well. It's the emotional reasons why people can't do it. It's the head trash. Yeah, very hard for someone who's not an MD to sit opposite an MD and try and pretend that he's their equal. Now, you can do it and I can do it because we have, we technically we are MDs anyway. We run our own businesses. But before I thought like that, I had to pretend to be like that until eventually it ceased to be a pretense. And it's just actually, this is who I am now. So that is very important. And it's easy to say that you're equal. But it's how you act that will determine whether or not you truly believe that. And that's why I watch salespeople. You know, I don't listen to a word they say. I just watch them. And it's very easy to see someone says, no, I believe I'm their equal. And then you watch them. You don't behave like someone that thinks they're your equal, though. Nerves, 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 nerves. On nerves. Yeah. Yeah. Fear of not being liked, fear of upsetting. No, no. But you that's, don't but that's where being authentic and, and where I'm saying, you know, take full individual responsibility for your own life and stand in your own two shoes. And oh. if you start with that, then the whole process of sales and delivery and who you are and what you become all can change because yeah. everyone is, everyone believes that they need to, like, I do not believe in faking it till you make it. I don't believe in that because faking it to the maker can set you down to disasters of it. Particularly if you don't make it. <laughs> if you don't make it. <laughs> then you're screwed, right? Then it is fake it, fake it, fake it till you make it. No, 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 I'm just a yeah. I, I had to fake things at time. And so sometimes when I when when I first started out my business and I, I really wanted money, but I had to sit there and act like I didn't. Now that was that and that that was an act. And it was literally saying no, I'm not willing to reduce my rate. And then them coming back saying, well, in that case, we're not going to move forward. And there's this bit of screaming, just take the money, take. So I can't. So there was an element of that until I felt comfortable. Now, now I don't have to think like that because I just behave that way naturally. But there is an element of that. I think you, learning new behaviors, learning to ride a bike, you're faking to ride a bike until you're pretty good at it. Yeah, okay. Well, there's yeah. elements so, so of there's faking that, it. Abroad, you know, yeah. there's, there's people out there who can, you, you listen to them and they, they're talking Yes, there are those. But if you can spot them, then you know they're fakes. You see, yeah, that's anything that you do well, you people can't see. No one can tell you why. Well, you can't see why Tiger Goods, Tiger Woods is good, but you know he is. But he knows exactly why, because he's got everything down to the finest. Yeah, finest. Practice. Practice, practice. Practice, 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 practice. Yeah. Commitment yeah. and practice. Yeah. 
look, we're 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 going to be jumping off here in a minute, and yes. and the one thing which, as the world is going through many changes, what I'm realizing is that as everybody's attention is now being drawn to the TVs and what's going on in the world, the people that actually don't get drawn to that and let that fear come in and let their emotions be driven by what's going on and start focusing on their business will be the ones that will triumph this year and next. And I think that selling is now going to play a bigger part than ever before in the than in the last decade because the last decade it was it was order taking with a lot of things you know it was product knowledge and a little bit of selling and i mm. think now that pendulum is swinging back again the law of nature is swinging back again that people are going to have to really home in on the craft of selling and m- closing more deals what's your thoughts uh, I agree. I think for the last decade, uh, salespeople have bought into this ludicrous idea that uh, consumers want to be educated and that consumers are more educated. And so your job is to pump out more and more information about your stuff. And then so you're, 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 you're and they've got all these funnel systems, don't they? And it's the nurturing the funnel and uh, uh, all of this. And all it's done is to solidify and codify being an order taker. Uh, and the problem is, is prospects don't know what they want because if they did, they probably wouldn't be talking to you in the first place. They would have fixed their problem. So I agree with you. Um, as the world gets more competitive, more price-driven, then you have to be able to sell. Um, and order takers, well, let, let's look at this way. During COVID, I spoke with a lot of MDs and a lot of them found COVID a wonderful break from normality because do you know what so many of them said to me they said i've actually managed to lay off like half of my sales team but the same amount of money keeps coming in oh yeah why i realize in the good times we just had order takers i've got guys that used to say to me i can't prospect because i'm on the road i've got to go do my bit blah blah two years they couldn't leave their home still didn't prospect yeah, so uh, so COVID was a great leveler. It made a lot of managers and owners realize that they've got people there that they don't need. And you will be cut if you're an order taker because AI, AI, the future's changing. A lot of this stuff is going to be automated. You don't need a human being to take an order. This all started, believe it or not, in order taking and salesmen weren't required was in the 50s when the white goods industry was taking off and everybody had more disposable income. That was in the 50s. And now we've had, you know, the early 2000s, you know, we're going now into the 20s. Selling is coming back. I do believe that that craft and people need to be able to know because it's going to get more competitive. And let's be blunt, the last two years, the world's been through a bit of a strange patch, but the good salesmen have still made a lot of money. The bad ones haven't. So the the economy, there was still the same amount of money sloshing around the world. Yeah, nothing changed. All it changed was where people were working from. But that destroyed some people who called themselves salesmen because they couldn't take an order. Yeah. So no, no, it's um, good salesmen always do well in bad times. Your tip, your tip for today. Today, give me one tip. One tip for the day. Um, don't eat yellow snow. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good tip. Um, what would oh, there are so many tips you'd want to give people, but if I was to give one, we haven't gone in depth on this today, but the key to being a professional is no emotional attachment to the outcome. Your lawyer doesn't care about what's going to happen to you at the end of the trial. All he cares about is what he does every single day and every minute of the trial until the jury goes out. And then whatever they decide, well, that's out of my hands. Selling is the same. You control everything up to the point where the prospect has to make a decision. If you do all of that well consistently and you practice getting that right and only focusing on making sure that you ask the right questions in the right way at the right time, that you know when to empathize, that you know when to challenge, when you get that all figured out and you just do that well, your results will become predictable and consistent. 
But if you're only ever focused on got to get a meeting, got to get a sale, got to get this over the line, and that's driving you, you will fail more than you'll win. That's that's force. That not that's force, not flow. And yeah. One of the things as well, if you do lose the sale, just don't beat yourself up about it. Just go, okay, I made you know I made a mistake. We all we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. I would have got deals and gone brilliant and then i've said something and i've analyzed it you know and that's the truth we are so, so don't, don't be hard on yourself if you don't have the ability to look back at what you've done and spot what you did wrong you're an idiot yeah there's nothing wrong with making mistakes what's wrong is not life. spotting life. them and learning from them and i would i would add this thing, and this makes life easier never ever say you lost a sale the only way you can lose a sale is if someone puts money in your bank account and then takes it back if anyone says to me they lost a sale, I say, when did you have it? Yeah, yeah. You can't lose a sale unless they take money out of your bank account. It's all wordplay. Yeah, it is all wordplay, but it's more important. You didn't lose the sale. When did you have it? Well, I didn't. So shut up. Stop whining. Don't be attached to the... Yeah, yeah but you, you have it in your mind. You've already bought that speedboat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No emotional attachment. That, that speedboat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, here's the thing as well about... We'll end on this. Yes, when you've done all the work and when then that you've sent over everything and they've said the decision is made, you have to detach yourself from that whole process. Mm. Detach yourself from that person. You can't be going back going, have they sent that invoice? Has it has, you know, have, are they going to go with it? Are they going to go with it? Detach yourself. Cause if you detach yourself from it, it'll come across the line. And yeah you will then do more business in the long run because you'll be focusing on something else. Your job is done, move on. You can only get excited when the check clears. Every time I get off a sales call with my wife, she goes, how'd it go? I go, oh, yeah, they're going to sign up. She goes, that's great. I go, no, no, until the invoice is paid, I don't celebrate. Yeah, when the money's in the bank account. Don't that's pass. when you that's, celebrate. Yeah. Up to it. that point, you have nothing. That's it. Benjamin... Give us your web address if people want to reach out to you, say hello. Real easy. UK's with it is UK's most hated sales trainer.com or find me on LinkedIn, same profile, or on YouTube, same profile. UK's most hated sales trainer. Not hard. And, and you will be, is there's rumors that, you know, coming soon? I'm going to put you on this. So you, uh, is your online training as well coming coming soon? Yes, I will be launching. The plan is to launch it in July. I'll be launching a 12-month online training program so people can sign up in over 12 months. I will impart everything I know through videos and a workbook. And at the end of those 12 months, you will have everything you need to start controlling the sale and being your own boss because I think every salesman should be their own boss. That's the freedom we all want. This is why I'm in sales. Why I'm in sales, it's not for the money. The money's a byproduct. I'm in it for the freedom. Because I get to choose when I work, where I work, how I work, and how much I make. Now, with the exception maybe of banking, I can't think of any other profession when you get this much opportunity. So that's where we're at. The trade halls of foreign exchange, there's where that can be made as well. Oh, I know. I've worked with two of the biggest <laughs> yeah. traders in the UK. I know. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's a great uh, pleasure. And yes, folks, this is uh, our first episode in the series. And the next one, we're going to have another salesperson on, our sales manager, expert or guru, whatever way you want to call it, talking about sales and what their driving force is behind the business. Until next week, take care.